Hey y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode number 397, I have invited to the show, Joel Mudamel. I really think that what this is, is an issue of humility. This is an issue of our, our awareness. Do we Are we aware of who God is? And if we're aware of who God is, then we can be aware of who we are in light of who God is, children of the Most High. And if we're aware of who God is and who we are, it actually frames our understanding of who we are in relationship to our brothers and sisters. And when that takes place, when that kind of triangular orientation takes place, it puts us in a posture of humility where it rejects pride. I invited Joel onto the podcast because several of you asked me to do an episode on roles of women in the church and in church leadership. And I know this is one of those hot topics. And I thought Joel would be a trusted guide. He is the director of theology and research for Proverbs 31 Ministries. And I let him know that I really like to hold the middle on these <laughs> topics. He does as well. Uh, we define complementarian and egalitarian. And I will tell you, it may even seem as you're listening, like one of the people on my team said, is Joel egalitarian? He has publicly identified as a soft complementarian. So if you're getting that idea that he is in the egalitarian camp from our conversation, it's just so interesting to me that we were holding the middle so much that it seems like we're leaning one way. I think we can all be friends and how old different views on this topic. I also agree with Joel in the little quote you heard that ultimately it's us recognizing that we're all under God and there are going to be things that we don't understand and we do our best to interpret scripture. Another thing we did not get to in this episode, I'll bring up at the end if you're curious to dig more into some of this. He shares some great resources that we have linked in the show notes but let's just get right to it. Y'all, we can have hard conversations with grace, right? All right, here we go. Joel, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Well, I'm so excited, Heather. This is exciting. Well, I am thrilled. I mean, this is our first time meeting and I've been watching from afar. Super thankful for your role. I know that you are on the team with Lisa Turkhurst and you are a pro when it comes to theology. PhD okay. level. Uh, so when listeners came to me and they're like, we want to have a conversation or we want you to have a conversation and we'll listen in on how God sees women and what is our role in the church. And this age old question, not a new one, but maybe women are even at a place where we are finding a voice to enter the debate. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Like, why does it feel even more pressing than possibly in the past? Um, that's such a good question. I, I think one of the reasons is there's honestly, I think uh, biblical literacy, I think this is just my, yeah. my take on it. Uh, I am always amazed at how deep, uh, just wouldn't want to get when it comes to the Bible, you know, uh, biblical studies, the, the text when it comes to Bible translations. And so I think there's there has become an awareness of an incongruity between what we've been taught uh, maybe from the Christian world, ch Christian church history tradition about the role of women and uh, the way that women um, are 
ought to live in light of societal kind of expectations compared with what the Bible actually says (laughs) about how God views women and how women actually played a very massive, crucial role throughout the biblical text. And this is not just a New Testament innovation. It's actually fundamental to one creation, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that. Uh, But then second, the development of God's people and God's view of how he relates to humanity uh, throughout the entire Old Testament, which is really what Jesus and Paul are then um, kind of building upon. So uh, I I think it's it's partly um, because we're like reading our Bibles and we're saying, wait a minute. Yeah. Like God actually understanding has a lot maybe to say. Con- yeah. Context a little more like maybe if we compare how women were treated to now, that feels different. But if we consider the context of women and how God elevated women and even in the, the genealogies, we see women's names mentioned. And I think more of us are studying and realizing, oh, wait, this wasn't written in 2000. This was written a long time ago. And yeah. So maybe God does value women in his grand story, his kingdom building. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Take us to the core. This is, like I said, is not a new debate. And there are camps. Yeah. And there are groups. And I want everyone listening to know that whatever side you associate with, you're welcome to this conversation that we just want to have an open handed chat about the history of the terms and what they mean and where they come from and what scriptures people use to support sides. And you are welcome here as well. Yeah. We do not want this to become more divisive because then the enemy wins. Right. That's exactly right. I love that, Heather. And for me personally, it's um, some people may want at the end of this be like, well, Joel uh, tells me to think this. And um, if you follow me on social or you just know a little bit about me, you will know that you will be equally frustrated and, and grateful for me because I will typically not tell you where and what to think. But what I do want to do is be honest and be humble enough to say, listen, the scriptures do point to different aspects. And so there's different sides that view the interpretation of this. And one, it is more than possible for us to both love Jesus and to be committed followers of Christ and love the local church. And on these kind of secondary outcome and theological triage, secondary and tertiary issues, we just say, hey, I convictionally land in a different place. One of my, during my doctoral uh, dissertation process, my advisor is a guy named Patrick Schreiner. He's a New Testament scholar. His dad is a probably world-renowned New Testament scholar, Tom Schreiner. Uh, Tom is, and we'll get into some of these uh, these camps, but Tom would be a uh, complementarian, and Tom w- helped write an academic book on views and women in ministry. And I love the introduction to that book because it's like the top scholars in New Testament theology on both complementarian and egalitarian. And like I said, we'll we'll d- define those. <laughs> we'll define this. Um, Yeah, we'll define those. But what I loved about it is they talked about how they were all friends. Mm -hmm. And and when they would get together at these academic conferences, they would sit together uh, to have dinner, um, to laugh, to to challenge each other about the text. And I love what Tom says. Tom often will say, this is really, really well written. And yet I'm unconvinced. 
you know, and he can, and I think Tom does a great job of saying, I can actually give you the very best arguments for the opposite side and say, these are my weaknesses of my side. And yet I'm unconvinced. And so I would just kind of preface this with saying, you may listen to this and I'm going to, and Heather will talk and, and show kind of both sides and maybe point to the text on some things that we need to consider. Um, at the end of the day, I, I would, this is just Joel personally, encourage you to go back to the scriptures, um, to study, to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text for you. And you may be convinced on certain things and you may be unconvinced on other things, but let's not forget that regardless of where we land on the secondary and tertiary issues, we're first and foremost um, sons and daughters of God the Father and belong to his family. That's good. This is like most things we encounter. We are on our own journeys with God and scripture, living in community. And we live in a time where if this, if you bend towards one side, which I wish there weren't sides, I wish we had a third option, there are churches that will support your leaning and you don't have to force the world to follow your conviction. That's what's interesting to me is right. if if you lean one way and that, that matters to you so much, you feel so strongly convicted, then you will be part of a church community that follows that same conviction. And yeah. that's okay. And I can be part of a different church community that follows a different conviction. And we can all follow Jesus because the church is divided so many times over so many tertiary issues. We got options. Like we're not mm -hmm. stuck. You yeah. can still worship communally with people who align with you if that's your goal. If that's your goal, exactly. which um exactly. is great. So okay, you said the big words. <laughs> my first question that came to my mind was where did those words start? And I know we were gonna define them, but I'm really curious, like what decade did these complementarian egalitarian come up? Do you know? Um, actually, that's a good question. I don't know exactly the origin of the decades of when they came up, yeah. but I do know that these um, these words were like anything that we do in the English language. These words were um, were created and constructed in order to the very best that they can systematize <laughs> a thought and an, mm -hmm. and an ideology. Um, so in uh, in biblical studies, there's a, a, a study called systematic theology. And so if you want to study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you would you would study pneumatology. Now, the origin of that word in English is uh, pneuma, which is the Greek word for spirit and, and knowledge. And so those two compound words come together and it creates, you know, what we have in English, pneumatology. These two words that we were just describing, um, I think is an indication of a group of people People typically connected through denomination, you know, whether it's Presbyterian or Baptist or um, Anglican, uh, Charismatic Pentecostal, these words were constructed in order to let people know kind of where we land in yeah. terms of how we view a section or a grouping of texts. And then specifically with these two words, how that should impact the way that ministry and, and life should be lived for Christians. So for instance, the complementarian position is this idea that um, men and women are both in the image of God, you know, and both made and in the image of God, which is both Genesis. made in the image yeah. of God. Yeah. 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 It's the yeah. Latin phrase Imago Dei. And yet they are complementary, that they are distinct 
Um, a man is a man and a, and a woman is a woman. And beyond the gender distinction, the complementarian position typically, and we're going to get to this later in 1 Timothy 2.12, would say that God had a specific design for men to lead in a certain way, capacity, both both in the home and in the church, and that women have opportunities in uh, in the home and in the church in areas of leadership. And yet, the and I'm going to go with um, a type of complementarianism. Once you get into the deep, you know, there's different phrases, soft complementarian, more, you know, kind of strict complementarian, all of that. But uh, the the main idea is that women can't be pastors, elder, elder pastors, that that is a role uh, in the local church and, you know, first Timothy two twelve, Paul later in Corinthians and, and other places in Titus, when he talks about deacons, elders and Timothy as well, that it seems that Paul is saying that this one role category is reserved for men only. And so in com- in a complementarian view, they would say, yes, women and men are made in the likeness and image of God, and yet they complement each other in important ways. And in that way that they complement each other, it does uh, allow men qualified men i mean it's not just any man qualified men that follow that you know the qualifications of elder deacon can fill that role and yet that role is not available for women so that's a complementarian position and when you say pastor too like differentiating pastor and like a teacher i just saw that recently this is such a good this is such a good question okay so one of the things that we've done in the English language is we've used an English word to try to describe a Greek or Hebrew word, you know, and yet there are different Greek and Hebrew words that are used to describe different things, different titles, different different functions. And so what we've often done is we've we've talked about elder um, presbyteros, and we've said, well, the English equivalent to that is probably pastor. In other denominations, and you know, the Catholic Church, other places, uh, they might use the word bishop instead for for that word. But we kind of in uh, evangelicalism would say, well, that's pastor. But when it looks at the function, when we look at the function of offices inside of the church, you have both an elder presbyter, but you also have a diaconus. You also have a deacon, right? And in New Testament studies, for the most part, even complementarians are going to, many complementarians that are especially uh, on the soft side, on uh, the loose side, are going to say, yeah, the text does seem clear that it allows for women to be deacons, you know? So the challenge happens when we use the word pastor or church uses the word pastor, and then we have to ask the question, well, what do they mean by pastor? Is this a deacon or is this an elder? You know, and so that question kind of becomes important uh, on it because it can actually construe or misrepresent uh, what the actual church understands or believes doctrinally because we've used one word to describe two different two different offices. Um, the egalitarian position. This is going to become important there. The egalitarian position, I think, is a position that is well-researched, is found in scripture, like great defenses for this position. And the position ultimately is going to say that uh, in Christ Jesus, uh, there is now the, the wall of hostility is broken down. This is Ephesians 2, that there is no longer a division between men and women. They're going to say, yes, the, the, agreeing with their complementarian brothers and sisters. We believe men and women are made in the image of God. And thus, because they are made in the image of God, that both men and women equally, 
without without reservation and with biblical qualification, but without gender qualification, they can and should be able to function and serve at every level of church ministry and leadership, including pastoral, elder, uh, bishop, elder, presbyter level, you know? So a woman can be a lead pastor. A woman can be a church planter. I think the passages that they would look at, one of the most powerful ones is Galatians 3, 28 through 29. You know, it's this list that Paul says, now that there's no Jew or Greeks, slave or free, male and female, since we're all one in Christ Jesus. And so um, a lot of egalitarians will say, hey, um, that understanding was an, was an Old Testament reality of that, you know, and even then we find traces of where that ru- those rules were broken in a society that was highly patriarchal. And so we should no longer have the reality of women being rejected, uh, an important role, an, an opportunity. And then, you know, it gets very emotional, Heather. It gets personal. I've got a daughter, you know, who's three years old now. I've got We've got three sons and a little baby girl. I'm hashtag girl dad, you know, and it's like, um, <laughs> it's like, well, what if God has gifted my daughter to teach the Bible and to preach and has strong leadership gifts and and hits all the list of elder pastor, you know, and then she goes into a complementarian church and they'll say, well, because of your gender, you can't be an elder pastor, you know? And so that, that I think is where the tension now kind of comes in. And then we have to back into it and say, well, what does the text say? Like, like yeah. what is clear and maybe what is unclear? And then how do we navigate that? I don't think I'm the only mom who gets real excited to get to the end of the day and climb into bed, especially when you have super soft sheets like the ones from Bowl and Branch that are made with the softest 100% organic cotton you have ever felt. It's like quality you feel immediately. And they're so great. I've even ordered a twin size of their signature hem sheets for my son who has sensory issues and he also struggles to sleep because the more you wash these sheets, they get softer and softer. And um, I'm really hopeful that this is going to be something that's going to help him in his sleep journey. If you've never heard of Bowl and Branch, let me just tell you why they are a bestseller because they are the highest quality threads on earth. The Bull and Branch sheets are made from slow-grown organic cotton, so they feel buttery to the touch, and they're super breathable. So they work for both cooler and warmer months, which in Texas, that can vary in a 24-hour period. They're so luxurious. They're loved by three U.S. presidents. I love they come in 10 versatile colors and all sizes from twin to California king. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. So make the most of bedtime with bowl and branch sheets. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code DMA at bowlandbranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code DMA. I'm convinced on both sides. I don't know, Joel. I have not landed. I tend to be a bridge person, okay? Yeah. I tend to be okay in the center. My son had me take a political quiz yesterday, and I was totally landed right, like the most center of the center. So Mm -hmm. 
I think I confuse my listeners a lot because I can hold tension really well. Like I'm okay with not knowing and understanding both sides. And, and I know that seeped in this, it came to my brain as you were talking is the current reality that our kids are even questioning their gender. Like they're not talking about like, what's my gender role within the church. It's like, this is getting even more complicated because now it's like, do we, we don't even, you know, and I've done whole episodes on that. I will not go there, but it would be awesome. Like you said, you have a daughter and you want her to live in the fullness of her gifts for God. So man, as we're, you said it, as we're processing this to go to the scripture ourselves and to ask the Holy spirit, it feels muddy to me. I don't even know where to go next, honestly, yeah. in our conversation. So I would, yeah, yeah, I would say, so this is, you said you're a bridge builder, man. I feel that way as well, but here's, and maybe you can relate to this. I think it's, it's super dangerous to be a bridge builder. <laughs> you know, you, like, don't have a, you don't have a group. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, and just from like a, a tactical standpoint, like, I really hope we've got good workers comp, you know, because it's like you can get hurt, you can get yeah. injured. What if you fall off the, the bridge? Yeah. You're trying to build this thing for yep. the benefit of other people. Um, and I found for myself, I, I think even more dangerous is trying to be a bridge builder that refuses to start on one side or the other of the bridge. So for me, I'm a bridge builder, and I think you might be able to relate. I don't want to speak for you, but I'm a bridge builder from the middle where I'm like, listen, I want to equally extend out to both sides. And when you're in the middle, it's really interesting. You're not strong enough on one end, so people are going to get mad at you, but you're not weak enough on the other side, and people are going to get mad at you. And so you find yourself almost, I feel like I'm always making somebody upset. (laughs) Equally offensive. I'm equally offensive because it's like my egalitarian friends are like, Joel, you're, you, you know, you're a functional, you're a functional egalitarian. Why can't you just take the next step and come all the way over? And my complimentarian friends are like, dude, you're, you're going too far. You're going too far liberal on this and you're going too soft. Yeah, exactly. Like we got to roll, reel you back in. And I just, I'm just like, well, where, like, where does the Bible lead me? Where, where's the scripture? Where's the whole counsel of scripture lead me to, you know? So the place that I, I want us to maybe start is the place that both complementarians and egalitarians that I've experienced are going to agree upon. And yet I don't think we spend enough time talking about this. And this is the creation narrative in Genesis mm-hmm. chapters one and two of Adam and Eve. Yeah. And I just have this thought and this idea that, and I'll say this when I'm teaching either conferences or uh, at churches and workshops, whatever I'll say in Eden, was Eden completely, totally perfect during the creation process? Was everything totally perfect? And most people will say, well, yeah, everything mm-hmm. is perfect. It's, it's Eden. God's creating. And then I'll point to the fact that, well, actually, one, you have this moment where God looks at man, at Adam, and says, it's not good for him to be alone. Mm. So this is kind of striking for me. Yeah. This And I think we need to sit on this and we need to let that settle in our hearts and just kind of realize that not only was it plausible, but it was actually a reality that as God creates everything good, the one thing that he creates that is yet incomplete, not that it's bad, right? It's incomplete, is that man is alone. Mm. You know? And, and so in that, this is Genesis 1, 26, this is what God says, 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens or the livestock over all the creation. And then go, he goes on then in verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. I did a little bit of Hebrew work on these words, image and likeness, and the Hebrew words are shalem and demut. And it's really, really interesting that these words were used of a king and the king's progeny, the king's children. <laughs> and so when God the Father, when he creates Adam and Eve together, they're both created in the likeness and in the image of the king which means that they are both together royal children of the king of the cosmos. And this is important. Yeah. Adam and Eve together have the commission to have dominion over the land, over the sea. They together have the commission to um, go out into the world and spread the glory of God and the image of God out into the ends of the world. They, in, in Eden, they both have this, what I would see as they're both distinctly male and female. They are gendered, you know, like like a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And yet they have this important complementary relationship that in Eden doesn't seem to have hierarchy in the way that we understand hierarchy. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be an Adam who's like, well, I'm a man and you're the woman, you're going to listen to me right? There seems to be this, and I'm going to use a phrase here that I think Paul refers to often. There seems to be an underlying sense of mutual submission. Paul uses the Greek word alalos, which is one another. There's a one another understanding that there is a, a mutual deference to each other. And here's the deal. If we're consistently mutually deferent to each other, we're mutually like thinking what is the best for the other person. It's really hard to undermine the other person. You know, it's really hard to undervalue the other person. It's really hard to say no to, because it's like you're almost fighting to outdo the good for each other. And that seems to be the identity and the relationship of Adam and Eve. Now, the fall disrupts all of this. The fall, I, I say the fall breaks the human. You know, the image of God is intact, but the humanity is broken. And from Genesis all the way through when Jesus comes and when in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit indwells us, it is a journey of putting the humans back together the way that they ought to be. Um, the other just last thing I think is really uh, interesting, Heather, is in Genesis 2.21, uh, and I have this whole thing on my Instagram you know, we read that Genesis 2.20 says that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept and God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Now, you and I think of rib and we think, well, nice to have, don't need to have, right? Like I watch football, you've got boys, you know, when a dude gets hit, a quarterback particularly takes a rib shot. Sometimes they can just jump back in and play, right? A cracked yeah. rib, like it's going to be painful when they breathe, but they can, they the danger of this is we then take a Western modern understanding of what a rib is and we impose it into the value and worth of a woman where mm. then it's like, well, a woman is just a rib. Nice yeah. to have, but not necessarily need to have. Well, I did some work on this too. And it's really interesting that um, the Hebrew word for rib is shalah. And shalah is often used throughout the Old Testament to not just describe like just a rib, but to actually describe the side of, of a being, 
the whole mm-hmm. side of a being. And wow. in another way, it's actually used. It's actually used at, as a word to describe the stability and the pillar of stability for a building. It's even used of the temple of the of the temple of God. That that the shalah is the stability, the pillars that keep the whole frame together. And so it's almost like what's happening here is when God uh, creates woman for uh, for Adam, that the woman is a stabilizing force in the man's life. It's a it's a essential aspect. You know, it's a foundational aspect that holds holds things together. But again, I think this this is an important image. What good are pillars without the frame? Yeah. <laughs> what good are pillars if there's nothing to hold them up? But what? But you can't have a building that doesn't have those pillars because the building is going to collapse. You see, mutual essential function for each other. And this, I think, is like the baseline of where both camps come complementarian and egalitarian have to wrestle with the text because then once we get to 1 Timothy 2.12 or we get to Galatians 3.28-29, the idea is a return to Eden, a return to Edenic vision of how God always intended men and women to correlate, to relate to each other. And so if that's the case, how do we understand Paul's language and, and the cultural, social issues of the time in relationship to what God has always intended for the relationship of men and women to be both in the home and in the church. And obviously there's some nuance there as well. Think about someone who has changed your life for the better. How incredible would it be if your company could find more of those life-changing people right when you needed them? If you are hiring, then you need Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. You can find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like their Indeed Instant Match, their assessments, their virtual interviews. If you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. I think it's really cool to think about the instant match that when you put in what you're looking for for a candidate, it will search all of the resumes and find and get you a short list of the quality candidates that match your job description. They do the hard work for you. So you sponsor a job and boom, Instant Match shows you those candidates right away. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. Visit Indeed.com slash DMA to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash DMA. Indeed.com slash DMA. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. So y'all know that I had my style and my colors done so I know which tones of colors look best on me. And I was thrilled when I saw that my spring colors are now available at Rothy's and there are so many adorable, bright, gorgeous options right now for 2023 
on the Rothy's website. If you haven't checked it out, please go take a look around because not only do we know that Rothy's are comfortable and, you know, from whether you buy their tennies, your tennis shoes, or whether you get some flats, some loafers, or just their well-known point flats, you are going to find that they make your feet feel great. They're washable. So like I've told you with my stinky feet situation, I can just toss them in the washer and know that they're going to come out looking great, lasting, they're durable. I've had mine for years and they look the same as when I first got them. And the styles, like I said, so many cute colors, so many cute styles, so many great options. They even have the menswear, they have handbags, totes, wallets, Their slip-on sneaker actually won best slip-on sneaker from Self Magazine's 2022 Sneaker Award. And People Magazine named the point the best flat for their first ever style awards in 2021. So for stylish and comfortable shoes, shop Rothy's. Get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com forward slash DMA. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash DMA. Rothy's.com slash DMA. I love all of the things you just shared about that Genesis passage, which how rich are those two chapters? I mean, like it all comes back to this. Thank you, Moses. Um, Be a God. So I think what's interesting too is we were talking about it being Eden. And when I think about my experience, I have been treated with that same kindness I feel like my church has, my my pastor, my church, the men in my church, I'm in a group with four 67-year-old men who they honor my gifts. Like I have very close friends who lift up what I'm doing and how God's using my ministry. And so I haven't experienced personally a kind of a pushing down or a, that's too much, Heather, sit down. But I know right. that's not true of everyone. And so because we live in a sinful world, that might lead us to push back and want more. And um, I know that both men and women have abused the power power roles in the yeah. church and have been abused in the church. And so that's real. And we're like, why do only men get to be in charge? And then men keep messing up. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I know sin complicates everything in life and it's even particularly this topic. So even in your experience, I mean, you are now in this role uh, with Lisa's ministry, Lisa Turkers, and she is a teacher of God's word and Mm -hmm. you are sitting under her. And how has all of that added to or impacted your view on the topic? You know, I've been in school for a long, long time, undergrad, uh, biblical studies and uh, master's seminary uh, work. I did a season of church planting and I ended up getting, I was bivocational. I worked with adults with developmental disabilities, dual diagnosis. And so uh, interesting to sit in rooms with uh, clinical counselors and psychologists. You go around like, what's your background? I'm like, yeah, I've got a Bible degree, you know? <laughs> and so I was like, I think I might need to get quote unquote, a secular degree. So I ended up getting a master's degree in, in organizational psychology and then the MDiv and then um, a PhD all in different places. Outside of the secular degree in all of my Bible kind of classes, right? Bible uh, um, settings. I never had a woman who was a professor 
Hmm. I, I mean, a legitimate professor, yes, facilitator, sure, admin, stuff like that. But I'm talking about like a PhD, legitimate. I walked into class and she stood up and she taught, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. the Bible to me. And after my, I think I'm going on five years or something like that here at Proverbs, um, I have found that that has been one of the greatest challenges and one of the greatest misses of my theological formation because I sit. Uh, around a table with brilliant women every day that are incredible Bible teachers. Um, and I'm talking not just the Bible teachers, I'm talking the, about the marketing team and the social media team and um, the gals who have a responsibility in totally different areas, finance and whatever else it might be. And yet we're studying the Bible together and they'll say something and I'll go, I never thought about the text in that way. But here's the thing, Heather. So you asked, how did it impact me personally? God didn't wire me to think about the text that way. I think about the text a unique way as um, a man, as a, a dad of three boys and a little girl, as uh, a son of an immigrant, you know, as uh, immigrant parents, I'm Indian. Uh, like I have unique way, but I can never think of it as my sisters do. And so what a tragedy it has been for me. I think about like what a tragedy to go so long and to read the Bible and to not have the both wisdom and vision of women who love Jesus to share and to unpack the text and to give their perspective because together we get like the beauty of the text, the full breadth and width of what the Bible has. And so that's been a personal thing that I've lamented is, um, I think I get friends all the time, uh, gals, even on Instagram, like, hey, I want to go to seminary. I'm thinking about doing doctoral work. I'm like, get the PhD. That's like my number one response. Get the PhD because we need more women with PhDs uh, teaching in institutions and theological seminaries because I didn't have that. And I know how uh, important it is. So you have that. And here's the thing that I would say. It is absolutely possible for you to be a complementarian and hold to your complementarian convictions and still learn from women as <laughs> a male, still, as a male, as a yeah. male. you could sit under a woman teacher of God's word. She's not necessarily a pastor. I think of Paige yeah. Brown. Have you heard of Paige Brown? Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. You want to hear Bible teaching? I just discovered yeah. her last year. Presbyterian. Yep. Unbelievable. And there are men all in that Bible study. Like you want to hear preaching of God's word. She studied under Tim Keller. She's amazing so yeah, i'm just I saying like out. i mean you got nancy guthrie you've got jen yeah. wilkin you've there's got so Daniel many Perry. options now yeah yeah thankfully yeah, yeah. there's so many options but you're saying you can be complementarian and hold that and sit under a woman who's teaching god's word and here's where and i'll just push a little bit you know and so if you're a gal and you're like gosh I'm, how do i have this conversation with my husband or you're mm -hmm. a guy listening to this and you know you're thinking how do i make sense of all here's here's just my personal deal I really think that what this is, is an issue of humility, mm. right? This is an issue of our, our awareness. Do we, are we aware of who God is? And if we're aware of who God is, then we can be aware of who we are in light of who God is, children of the Most High. And if we're aware of who God is and who we are, it actually frames our understanding of who we are in relationship to our brothers and sisters, yeah. You know, and when that takes place, when that kind of triangular orientation takes place, it puts us in a posture of humility where it rejects pride. It protects yeah. us from thinking, what can I get from from this person or what can I? And rather it says, oh, my gosh, what an opportunity it is for me to to learn. And I can still be, you know, in the words of Tom Schreiner, unconvinced of this mm -hmm. one part of it. But that doesn't mean I've got to reject the whole thing. 
That's so good. I don't know if you're willing to, I know that you've studied Paul and I don't know if you, we have mm-hmm. a little bit of time to give a little bit of context to some of the scriptures that are held up for, I think both arguments, right? Yeah. Or just maybe one side that Paul and he kind of set up our early church, like, like yeah. structure, but what context was he dealing with as he's giving instructions for the early church? Yeah. So one thing, so my dissertation was um, on Paul's household themes in Ephesians, uh, particularly Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. And so I dealt a lot with uh, with Paul and what's kind of happening. So in 1 Timothy 2, which is like the the linchpin, I think, complementarian verse, but also a very important verse for the egalitarians because they got to deal with a very, it feels like um, aggressive Paul, you know, who's like making this flat out statement. So the question that we have to wrestle with both camps um, and positions have to wrestle with is, is this a a statement that is that is located in a cultural moment that is only for Timothy as he's pastoring this church in Ephesus? Or is this, are, what are the applications to the church universal, to us mm-hmm. today? Is yeah. this meant to be understood wholesale in the exact same way for us now. And I think there's arguments on both sides, but I want to unpack it a little bit. So the first thing is that in um, what Timothy's dealing with in his church in Ephesus is the Temple of Artemis. Uh, the Temple of Artemis is massive in Ephesus, and the Temple of Artemis was multifaceted. There was a banking institute inside of the Temple of Artemis, but it was also the location of cult prostitution. Um, so you would go inside, you can go left and get your banking done, or you can go right and you can go and do all the you know horrific sexual deviant acts that were taking place there. There was also there's. Uh, original work that's been done on this um, this cult. It's called the Cult of Sybil. And the Cult of Sybil um, understood that uh, it was a heresy, essentially, that actually um, women were more prominent than men. And there was a different group of people that actually kind of came in and um, they were connected, but basically they started to teach this false teaching that actually God created uh, Eve first, and Eve is more prominent than than Adam. And so what it was, what the the result is is a uh, usurping of authority, a usurping and kind of re- dejection of men and a rejection of men, and this is all happening in a Greco-Roman context that is highly patriarchal. You know, like a reaction. Uh, it sounds like a reaction. Like we it's, do it's these swinging. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and it's rooted yeah. in this kind of we sexual saw this. Struggle. In our, like the seventies, anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we're gonna. I think we're gonna keep seeing it. I think we. Yeah. This is what I found is we do these pendulum swings, right? So I'm kind of like, let's not pendulum swing. <laughs> let's just know where we were, where we are, and where we're going. Let's let's but study our history. That's, that's kind yes, of, yeah, yes, that's kind yes. of what we do. So this is what Paul says in First Timothy two. To, I'll start in 10. He says, actually, you really need to start at the very beginning because basically what he does throughout this, is he gives this massive list. Like he says this, um, he says, uh, likewise, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. So in terms of our hermeneutical model and method, I'm always asking like, well, what justifies us to say, well, Paul was just dealing with a cultural context with braided hair and pearls and costly attire. And so that doesn't count for today. But the next sentence counts for today. And here's the next sentence. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And then he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain 
quiet. <laughs> so from a hermeneutical standpoint or like a method of how we study the Bible, why is it like the same people who are going to exegete this text and view it in different ways, um, you know, like the complementarians who are like, yes, clearly it means that women cannot speak up in the church. It affirms Paul later on in Timothy and Titus when he talks about uh, elder pastors can only be men. Like, absolutely. Then I would talk to them and say, okay, great. But then um, do you let the women in your church braid their hair? Or wear gold? Wear gold. You want them to wear gold <laughs> no. to give them the money to the church. Right. Like, I mean, hey, if we want to really get there, let's talk about tithing, okay. right? Like, okay, boy. Okay. Right. Are we holding all the things? No, yeah. that's really, I, yeah, yeah. To think through, like, when do we pick and choose and decide? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I would say, so a couple of things that are really important here. One is that Paul is dealing with a cultural issue. Why is he talking about those things? These were rampant in the Temple of Artemis. It, this yeah. is the example that I give, Heather. Imagine I started a, a church, you know, and we're part of this church and the right next door to the church, there's a cult. And the cult right next door to the church, they're known by the fact that they all wear red Jordans, like like red Jordan ones. That's their thing. They wear red Jordans and they walk around. And this is the identifying marker of what it is to be a part of this cult. And I come up into the church and I preach on the pulpit. And um, one week I preach with red Jordans. The next week you're getting ready to preach and you're preaching with red Jordans. Is that wise? Be like, probably not. And we might even tell the members of our church, hey, um, it would, it's unwise for us to wear red Jordans because it is a cultural association with the cult that's right next door. And by the way, as the people of God, we're set apart. Yeah. And so it's unwise for us, even though we have the freedom to do it, it is unwise for us to do it because of this situation. And by the way, we might have somebody from the cult who comes in with those red Jordans. And that lets us know, oh, hey, like we need to pray for them. We need to love, like, like it, it actually shapes and for this is what I think Paul is getting at here in the text. He's saying there's a cultural reality and we don't want to confuse the world, the society. We don't want to confuse the church in Ephesus, which is already jacked up and confused. Like there should be a way that, right. And, but then he gets into the section about, um, about quietness. The, the big question is, what does he mean by authority? A woman should not exercise authority. The Greek word here, authenteo, I think it's used only in this verse by Paul in this way. And even this this word, authenteo, throughout the rest of Greek literature, it's incredibly difficult to exactly pin down what is being um, described and how it's being described. This is why we have a massive debate on New Testament scholars, on both complementarian and egalitarian. Here's where I've personally landed after studying this for a really long time. What it seems to be, to me, is that authenteo is a word that is describing two types of functions. It is a type of leadership that is authoritarian that is harsh, that is rigid, and that is overbearing. That's what mm. that's where I've landed. So mm. it's not that you shouldn't have authority at all in any in any flat out way. It's the type of authority that you have. And then why I think this is important is because right before this, it was not common for women to learn. Mm. For women to learn itself is revolutionary. Right. Paul doesn't say stop learning. He defines the way the learning ought to be done. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even in that, it's actually innovative and progressive for Paul. People are probably like, Paul, did you mess that up? I don't think you meant to write that. 
Hmm. He must have had a pen slip, right? He meant don't learn at all. No, he doesn't say that. He says to learn quietly with uh, submissiveness. This again characterizes the type of learning that's taking place. And then why I think this is so important is the very next verse is... And this is what the complementarians are going to argue against the egalitarians. Like, well, this is just a cultural thing. They'll say, well, look, Paul makes a creation argument. He transitions right from verse 12 to Adam was formed first, then Eve. But this is, again, where I go, well, that argument can also be fit in with a cultural argument because of the cult of Sybil. And I think there's a theological premise. It takes us back to Eden. It takes us back to ask this question, how were Adam and Eve originally supposed to interact, supposed to live together, um, mutually love each other as a family? And those are the things that we need to wrestle with in order to come to whatever conclusions we're going to. That's super helpful. I mean, I didn't hear this growing up. Let's just say that. (laughs) I'm just thankful that we're able to dig a little deeper and know a little more and talk about it. And so if anything, if you're listening and some of these ideas are new to you or like not ideas, but like the context and the understanding of the scripture is new to you, like Joel said at the beginning, do your own digging. We have that freedom and that ability and the internet is an amazing place. Didn't she work for uh, Logos at one point? Yeah. I mean, we've got got these tools. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Logos Bible software. It is my favorite uh, study of theology. And this is my thing. Like I, uh, you know, I've done New Testament scholarship. I've done, I wrote a dissertation. I, I live in this world of theology. I feel like my role, Heather, is a synthesizer. I'm trying to take scholarship and stuff that the average, you know, like you have to have Greek, you have to have Hebrew to be able to even just make sense. Some So like my thing is like, hey, let's not leave that in the ivory tower. These are yeah. really important things for us to be able. So I want to synthesize that for the everyday Bible student. But I'm not the expert. I'm not the New Testament expert here. Like I'm not an expert of the cult of Sybil. There are experts that do this. And so um, I would just also recommend for the complementarian standpoint, who I think is the best in New Testament, just in general, is Tom Schreiner. Read Tom's work, you know? Um, and then on the egalitarian side, um, you've got somebody like Lynn Kohick, who's a brilliant New Testament scholar, or I think it's Kathy Lee Barnwell is another one who's who's an incredible scholar. You've got people like Craig Bloomberg, and you got all these people. People, you know, that um, can uh, argue for one side or another. And I, what I'm, why I want to say that is just to, to like let you know there are places for Craig Keener is another one, a brilliant uh, New Testament scholar that's going to land on the egalitarian, egalitarian standpoint. In fact, I had in prep for this, I have his book right here. Um, okay. He's got this academic book, Paul, Women and Wives, Marriage and Women's Ministry in the Letters of Paul, you know? Okay, there you um, go. And so you've got places to go for further study and research. And at the end of the day, like I started with, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text for you. I'm so thankful to get to meet you and he learned from you today. And I don't know if I have landed in any camp still, But I just feel the freedom that right now I am following Jesus. I am using my gifts where he has me and I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything right now. And so I just pray that over anyone listening to that, that you aren't, you are first and foremost connected with your creator, your King Jesus, and he is guiding you to find a place to use your gifts. Um, right where you are. So thank you, Joel, so much. We'll put all the links to those books in the show notes and people can find you 
it's your last name, and I'm going to try to say it. Mudamel. If you yeah, say it fast. You can say Mudamal or you can say Mudamali. Mudamali. Is that yeah. the Indian? Is that the more proper That's way? That's like the it? more Americanized way of saying it. There's a whole Indian really? way of saying it, but I just kind of stick with the, the yeah, it's just easier. So just M-U-D-D-A-M-A-L-L-E. Um, that's exactly. really it for all of my kind of social stuff. And then that's the same for my website as well. Perfect. Thanks for being on the Don't Mom Alone podcast. You bet. Such an honor. Okay, y'all. Thank you for grace. Thank you for knowing my heart. If this is your first time ever listening to an episode, um, hi. And I hope that you believe the best about me and know that I am first and foremost all about being a student of Jesus and I love God ultimately and surrender to his ultimate power and authority in my life and that we as people are just (laughs) trying our best to figure out how to live out this faith, this side of heaven. Joel and I got off the call and we realized we did not address the authority structure that's listed in the Bible for the church and how there are aspects of that explicit structure that maybe the egalitarian side hasn't addressed. And so I know there are so many more conversations that can be had on this topic. I think my heart was to get the conversation going on the show and to model how you can talk about these things without uh, division or without causing more harm. So that's my heart in this. I hope you hear that and I hope that you continue to follow Joel and his wisdom and theology and um, just learning. Like the episode I did at the end of 2022 with Felicia on Every Woman a Theologian, my hope is that we are on this journey with God to know him, to understand him and how he works and that we can all be disciplers where we are, that you are getting discipled and that you are discipling. So I'm going to pray over us. Uh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that we have your word. I thank you that we have your spirit. I thank you, Lord, for Jesus. I thank you that you are the one moving us towards intimacy with you. And I pray that we would not get distracted with things that um, cause division. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be drawn most to you. I pray that we would see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and that we would honor one another in our roles and our giftings and that thank you, Lord, that you make space for all of that. And I thank you even in my own life that you have given me opportunities and grace and to use my gifts where you have assigned me to use them. And I pray for Joel. I pray for him in his position. And I thank you, God, for everyone listening. I pray that they would understand and be seen by you today, the high value you place on them as your children, that you have anointed them, that you have given them an inheritance, that you have offered them eternity with you. And I pray that there's nothing that would steal that value from them. In Jesus name. Amen. Thanks y'all for listening. I am so thrilled whenever you join me and when you share this podcast with your friends on social media. And I'm just so excited for all that's coming up with my new book in April. If you have not pre-ordered, it's available wherever books are sold. I think it's 40% off if you go to Baker Bookhouse uh, and look up Right Where You Belong is the name of the book. 
I will be talking about it a lot in the upcoming months and uh, some really exciting things happening you may have already seen on social media. Or if you get the notes from me, I send out a note every Tuesday. You can sign up at olaheather.com, Ola with an H, like Heather. And yeah, I'm just really in awe of all God is doing and how he, he is leading and I'm following and I'm just trying to steward the messages he's given me. And so thanks for walking alongside me. I pray that you have a fantastic week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.